Here we go, here we go, friends. Here we go, here we go. Welcome, friends. There's, uh, there's 10 spots up here in the corner. Don't be shy. Come up this way, and there's a few spots over there. Those are very nice people over there as well, so please come. We may have, uh, we'll make, if you don't have an outline, there are some more on the way. John is a very popular man, almost as popular as his lovely wife, Claire, who's back to visit us again. She's a wonderful person. Um, it's been a very long weekend for John, but it's been exhilarating in another sense. We had 50 or 60 pastors and their wives here on Friday. That uh, continues to grow, and there's a calm collegiality and honesty that's growing up among those pastors. It's a fabulous thing. St. John funds that fully, so thank you very much for being kind to pastors and their wives. You know, it's the one, one place where people can come now and feel like they can say anything and, and, and uh, be anything, and everybody will still love them and take good care of them. So this is a spectacular place for that reason. And then last night was uh, another reminder to me that you can't make new old friends. And in the course of uh, a fundraiser for doxology, you know, I remembered that doxology 20 years ago was the place I first met Arthur Just, Pete Ladick. Ron Forhan drew me into the mix. Um, I had met John a time or two at the Nagels before, but it was a chance for us to really solidify some friendships that have gone on to be very beneficial to me and also to St. John over the years. So it's quite a pull for John and Claire to come. So uh, he'll be with us a few more days. He's going to meet with some pastors and care for them and uh, kind of spend some time with us. Uh, then, at the end of the week, musky fishing with Rich Wren. Which it's, it's possible, yes, I know, it's possible that that, uh, that could have been the real reason that he came all along. We're, we're not quite sure. And then on the weekend, he'll preach and teach for Joe Home. So everything is remarkably wonderful, right? And then a bit more work, uh, Claire goes home, a bit more work for John with pastors up in Wisconsin and then off, right? So it's been a fabulous time, and, and, and we're, we're greatly indebted to John, and we're favored that he comes to see us every time. It really is a great gift. So cherish this, and we'll record it, I'm sure. We'll record it, so it'll be up on the, up on the website. But if you would pray for us and teach us, we would be grateful. Thank you very much. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, the giver of all good and perfect gifts. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit and the great fruit of the Spirit, joy. Fill our hearts with the spirit of joy so that we may go on our way rejoicing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's a great joy to be here with you and an even greater joy to speak about joy. (laughs) Um, In many ways, St. John's is Claire and my congregation here in the USA. It's not as good as our congregation, (laughs) of course not. (laughs) But it comes a very close second best. Uh, It's a remarkable congregation, and you are an amazing people. And I thank God for the generosity and the great joy that you give me every time I visit here. So I can go home rejoicing. Joy. Um, We're going to have a look at a passage from Philippians on joy, the great letter of joy. 
the verbs and nouns for joy occur more commonly in this little book of four chapters than anywhere else in the New Testament. What are the joy killers? There's three surprising things that Paul hints at indirectly as the killers, the destroyers of joy. The first one is harshness, immoderation, unreasonableness. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, Extreme overreaction, the lack of moderation. You see, we have no one English word that covers it. First of all, so harshness. The second joy killer is anxiety. The third joy killer is cynicism. Okay, let's hear what Paul says about joy and the gift of joy. He says, and you've got it before you there, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say, and again, or again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, sisters, you could add, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any virtue, if there's anything worthy of praise, consider, envisage these things. There's something remarkable that's happened in our Western societies over the last 50 years. And that remarkable thing is the loss of joy. The loss of joy in people's lives. And the loss of joy comes, I would put to you, with the loss of faith in God. Now sometimes unbelievers, not Christians, see things more clearly than we do from outside Um, The great English writer George Orwell wrote a novel called The Clergyman's Daughter. It's a story of a woman whose father is an Anglican priest and she goes to university and uh, she, in the course of that, loses her faith. Now she expected, and she fought that for many years, and she expected the loss of faith to be rather dramatic. But she says there's only one thing that happened as a result of a loss of faith was that she'd lost joy. The loss of joy comes with the loss of faith. The loss of the Christian faith. We live in a sad, sad, grey society. Look, you just have to go to India or Africa and look at people's faces and then come back to the US or Australia, and you can see it dramatically. 
Um, and what's replaced joy is happiness, the pursuit of happiness. Now, you are the only society in the world, as far as I know, that has enshrined as one of the basic rights that you have. Notice it's a right, not a gift, it's a right, the pursuit of happiness. And if there's one thing that I think that lies at the heart of the American enterprise, it's the pursuit, the futile pursuit of happiness. Because the more you pursue happiness, the more it eludes you. Just think how much people are driven by the pursuit of happiness on the one hand and how little happiness they experience. Now, happiness and joy can overlap in the sense of the effect that they have on us, but they are different. They are different. Um, We have no right to happiness. We have no right to joy. It's a gift. And the two sources of joy, says Paul, there's Jesus and his presence with us. He is the source of joy. He is the joy bringer, the joy giver. And with that, two other people. So the source of joy is Jesus, other people. And Paul here um, gives us, if you like, three aids to rejoicing. Um, it's not so much you know, it's like, you know, what you've got to do to receive joy, but they are aids to rejoicing and reminders about how God gives us joy and uh, what means God uses and Jesus uses to give us this greatest great gift. In Galatians, joy is the first fruit of the Spirit. Um, joy. And the three aids to rejoicing are gentleness, thankful prayer, and a focus on goodness in other people, particularly our fellow Christians, the fellow members of the body of Christ. So three aids, gentleness, thankfulness, and goodness of other people. Um, Rejoice in the Lord always, says Paul. Um, It's the second time in this letter that he's issued this invitation to the recipients of this letter. Uh, And it's a letter that's about joy. And Paul overflows with joy. And in a remarkable picture, he sees that our growth in faith is our progress in the journey of faith is progress in joy. So you start off with a little joy. And the more you go on your earthly journey, the more Jesus leads you into joy. There's progress in joy. There's progress in rejoicing. Now, whereas sorrow isolates you, anger isolates you, joy does the opposite. It connects you with other people. It's a communal activity. It's contagious. If one person rejoices, uh, that, uh, that one person gives joy, uh, in Uh, invites other people to rejoice and encourages, stimulates rejoicing. You can, if you just keep your eyes open for that, and you see how often it's communal, it's contagious. Uh, 
you catch it and you're stimulated it to, from other people. And joy is not just a feeling. Of course it touches you emotionally, but it's a state of being rather than a feeling of happiness. Now, happiness is a feeling. It comes and it goes. It's aptly named. Happy, which means it happens. Uh, but it also means that it unhappens. Whereas joy is a state of being, and it can coexist with its opposite. You can rejoice even when you grieve. You can see that in Christian funerals. You can see that on Good Friday. Uh, joy can coexist with sorrow, unhappiness, pain, heartache, uh, uh, because it is not a, just a feeling, but it's a state of being. And Paul tells us to rejoice. And we can uh, very easily mishear Paul and say his command. Okay, what does it mean? And if you look at the older version of the Good News Bible, which translated it, be happy. <laughs> can you tell somebody to be happy? Uh, but that's the way it's taken uh, a command to do something, and even more, a command to be joyful, to rejoice. No, it's not a command telling you what you've got to do, but it is a, an imperative which invites you to do what? To receive it. Rejoice in the Lord. Paraphrase it, okay? Paul invites you to receive joy from Jesus. And he invites you to receive enjoyment. Enjoyment of what? Everything. The reception of joy. It's not a command to be happy and to put on a happy face and uh, uh, play all sorts of funny games with yourself and other people. You know, eh. Uh, and... Paul emphasizes that because he says, rejoice in the Lord when? Always, constantly, continually. Your whole life uh, is to be a life of joy. What does Jesus want to give you? A life that is filled with joy. Not just little pockets of joy uh, when things go well, but the whole of your life filled with with joy, always. And uh, that's possible because Jesus is the giver of joy. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Why? Because the Lord is near. The Lord Jesus is here. He's with us. And he is the source of joy. And where he comes, and where he is present, joy comes. Joy is present Joy is given. He is the source of joy. A true joy, lasting joy, solid joy, rather than ephemeral, passing happiness. Um, joy, you see, comes from Jesus and it gives you and me and every single Christian a foretaste of heaven. Our life in heaven will be a life that will be full of joy, abundant joy, overflowing joy. One of the problems we have 
is that we lack the capacity to receive joy and to enjoy. So our whole life, uh, God willing, is through the Holy Spirit to enhance, increase our capacity for enjoyment, to make us more and more able to receive joy. This is most necessary because since the fall, we're all sad sacks. And the default position is misery. Joy doesn't come naturally to us. Joy is supernatural. It comes from God. And where true joy is, Jesus is. Or where Jesus is, there is true joy and there is a foretaste of heaven. Peter puts this quite well in his first letter, 1.8, where he talks about the resurrection of Jesus and how we rejoice in the risen Lord Jesus. And he says, we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, unutterable, and filled with glory. Filled with glory, the glory of God, the presence of God, uh, a foretaste of heaven, because in heaven we will experience the glory of God, and the effect that that will have on us is that we will be uh, overflowing with joy. Overflowing joy, abundant joy. Luther uh, speaks about the joy of the Lord, the joy that Jesus gives us, the joy that we have in Jesus, quite memorably, where he says, this gladness, this joy is so great that were a human heart fully to assimilate it, body and soul would be torn apart and the person would expire. (laughs) He tends to overstate things. (laughs) But in a sense, he's true. It's what person would expire. It's the old self, the old Adam would become. That's what Luther means. It would be the death of the old, fallen, sinful self. Um, because it's, it's the old, sinful, guilty, uh, rebellious self just can't receive it and can't take it in without dying. Joy that is too full for us to take in. Overflowing joy, abundant joy. And I put it to you that this joy is the best antidote to the fearful pessimism that pervades your country and the whole Western world. Uh, Have you noticed how fearful people are? And rightly so. Now, we're surrounded by chaos right across uh, the spectrum. And it goes from chaos uh, out there in the... uh, the natural world, ecological problems, it goes into politics, it goes into the social order, it goes into family, it goes into marriages, it goes into our own hearts and our own minds. Uh, Chaos. And with that comes fear, and with fear comes pessimism. And we live in a culture where people are riddled with fear, and that culture then, uh, instead of encouraging, rejoicing, enjoyment, actually uh, enhances what scholars call a hermeneutic of suspicion, which is a sense of pessimism and criticism 
uh, everything is not good enough. And uh, the default position everywhere is that you criticise everybody and everything. And we live in a victim society. Now, what's the status of a victim? Is a person who's been hard done by and uh, therefore uh, complains about this, that and everything. Now, what Paul wants to do is to replace our hermeneutic, this is a technical term, it doesn't matter whether you understand it or not. <laughs> I've got to show off a bit. Uh, uh, you've got to place this, this, this sense of uh, suspicion. Suspicion means uh, everything's got a catch, so even the good things mean, you know, what's the catch? What's the catch here? It can't be as good as it looks. Uh, uh, somebody's going to con me, take me in. Replace that with a hermeneutic, a sense of appreciation. Okay, now let's, that's enough generally. I won't be able to get to Paul. Okay, first of all, what does Paul say? He gives, he, he gives us uh, three aids to daily continual rejoicing. Each one of these is rather surprising. And you won't get any of these in any of the common psychological books which tell you, you know, the secret of a happy life. Okay, what's the first one? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness, let your gentleness, your moderation, your reasonableness, your emotional restraint, uh, uh, the lack of overreaction. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord Jesus is near. Okay, uh, so the first uh, antidote or the first aid to joy is the practice of God-given gentleness to all people. Now, that doesn't come naturally to us because naturally uh, we tend to be gentle with ourselves and ungentle with other people. And the sad thing is that we are sometimes most ungentle, if I can use a, uh, uh, a dubious term, we're most ungentle with the pe people that we're closest to, our spouse, our children, our fellow Christians. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Notice it's not just Christians, but everyone. Now, gentleness is an attribute of God and an attribute of Jesus, and it's a gift from God to us. It doesn't come naturally. And it, since it doesn't come naturally, and since it's a gift from God, it's something that you can pray for and be sure that it will be given to you. Okay, let me just unpack it a bit, I could speak at great length. By the way, this is one of Luther's favourite terms. He comes back to it and meditates on it again and again. Gentleness is meekness in the true sense. Uh, that means that you're not high-handed and unteachable, uh, but you are, are meek in the true sense of the word. Uh, gentleness is meekness. It's peacefulness rather than being belligerent and aggressive. It's courtesy. Oh, that's a lovely word. And it's sorely missing everywhere, most of all in the political domain. <laughs> right? Have you noticed the death of civility politically? 
I mean, civilities are lower bow than courtesy. Uh, courtesy. Now, what does courtesy mean? It means that you treat everybody as if they were king or queen of higher status than you. Courtesy, graciousness. So it's those things, being gracious to people, kind to people, rather than being aggressive, uh, self-assertive, belligerent in your attitude, speech and action. Um, ungentleness doesn't just show itself in what you do, it does that, or what you say, but most of all in your attitude to other people. The lack of that sense of being gentle. Notice we say being gentle, not doing gentle or saying gentle. It's a, 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 a matter of being. And James says it's a product of heavenly wisdom. It's the mark of a person who's received the wisdom that comes from God, the wisdom that God gives through his Holy Spirit. It's heavenly attribute. Uh, that's that gentleness, sense of moderation. Uh, yeah, um, to put it in modern terms, uh, what we're all prone to do is to overreact, to overreact emotionally. Something happens and we overreact. And it can be uh, overreacting in a good way, but as well as a bad way, both can do great damage. Um, the overreaction. So Paul here calls, he says, let your gentleness be known for everybody. What does Paul say you need to be known for? Gentleness. Gentleness. Just think of how few gentle people you know. Now that's not being soppy. It doesn't mean that you, uh, you let other people walk all over you because it shows real strength. You have to be very, very strong inside to be gentle with your husband. Your wife, your children, okay? It's a product of heavenly, uh, uh, of, of Jesus, and it's to be what you put on public display in your interactions with other people. And it is then the cause or an aid to what? Rejoicing. Where gentleness goes, joy goes. Where there is gentleness in a Christian marriage, a Christian family, a Christian congregation, where there is gentleness. The gentleness of Jesus, but the gentleness of saints with each other, there you will have a community of joy. There that will encourage, stimulate rejoicing. Um, and the reason for... Uh, rejoicing is that the Lord is at hand, the Lord Jesus is at hand, and he is the source both of gentleness and of joy. No, he is the hidden source of joy. Where Jesus goes, joy goes, gentleness goes. Where Jesus is present and where people acknowledge and trust in Jesus, there what comes? Gentleness, and gentleness promotes rejoicing. And it's the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 35 verse 10. 
That chapter is one of my favourite parts of the Old Testament. You can look up the whole chapter if you want to. But it ends with this remarkable promise of what will happen in the age of the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, this is the culmination of his mission to the people of God. They, that is the ransomed of the Lord, people who have been redeemed by the Lord, will enter Zion, the city of God, with singing. Everlasting joy will do what? Crown their heads. Beautiful image. Uh, and then most remarkably, gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Now, notice here, uh, the, prophet, uh, the, the promise is that gladness and joy will overtake them. What's the picture? Now, normally we see ourselves as chasing joy, chasing happiness, but that's turned on its head. Prophet says, joy chases you. Not unhappiness chases you and dogs you, but joy chases you. And what do you do? You run away from it. I know, but the time will come when joy will overtake you and will crown your head. Uh, 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 you won't be running away from it. It's been chasing you all your life. Can we just run with that picture? Think. So since you were conceived, since you were born, Jesus has been chasing you. Not to condemn you, not to disapprove of you, but to do what? To give you joy. And uh, it's not just he does it once, but uh, the further you go, the more he chases you because he wants to give you more and more joy so that eventually it will crown you and it will fill your whole life. Um, so joy chases you. You don't need to chase it. Secondly, joy comes from the practice of thankful prayer to God the Father. Paul says, don't worry about what? Anything. Don't worry about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Notice, be, gentleness be known to everyone. Okay, that's the one dimension out there. Gentleness towards God, it means prayer and thankful prayer. Uh, so, uh, but in everything, in every circumstance of your life, wherever you are, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. As I said right in the beginning, one of the great, great joy killers is worry. Worry, worry, worry. And we're all worry warts. Some are more practiced at it than others. <laughs> but we all worry. We're all anxious. We're full of anxiety. And in most cases, uh, we don't know what to do with our worries. Uh, no, uh, you know, let, let's say you have a husband or wife or kid that uh, worries and you tell them, don't worry. What's stupid about that? <laughs> They're going to worry more. Right? It's, nobody chooses to worry. Worry worries you. 
there's a very, uh, I was speaking about Psalms to an Aboriginal community and they have the expression that you don't worry, but wa uh, uh, worry uh, worries you. So it worries you and that's quite accurate. It gets you and gets hold of you and uh, you can't get rid of it. Uh, why does God allow you to experience worry and anxiety? What does he want you to do? Quite simply, to turn your worries into prayers. Can I repeat? He gives you worries to teach you to pray. And you want to know how to pray, okay? All you do is, instead of uh, worrying to yourself, or worrying to your spouse or best friend, worry with Jesus. And that's prayer, and that's the deepest prayer. Uh, what kind of worrying? Um, uh, it's, it's to uh, notice that, let, uh, but in everything, in all circumstances, in all troubles, whatever you are, by, uh, who am I? By uh, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known. Now, don't worry, pray. Uh, but supplication means a little bit further, asking for what is good. Okay? Worry, you worry about something that might happen. Sometimes it's about something that is happening, but you can also worry about the past and think. So you turn away from worry and the trouble. One of the things about worry is that you envisage bad things happening uh, or you dwell on the bad things that have happened and that's going to dog you for the rest of your life. So worry takes hold of you. And uh, uh, Paul says, turn your worry into supplication. Now, supplication is a technical term for asking for God's grace, God's help. So uh, uh, pray to him for help. Turn it into prayer. But the important thing is with thanksgiving. So don't start off. Um, it not, it's not just it's not about starting or not, but not just concentrating on the worries, the troubles, but do it in a different way, which is not just to look at the one or two bad things that have happened or could happen, but you give thanks to God for what? Everything. We are funny creatures and we are wired in a funny way. One of the things that I can't get over in myself is that... Uh, if two or three things go wrong in a day or even in a week, it's a, it's a catastrophe. And if a fourth thing's happen, I want to give up, stop living. Uh, you know, uh, 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 we, we, we aren't gentle, we overreact. Because, but we, what we don't notice is that even if you have a bad day where you get three or four things that go wrong, how many things have gone right? Billions of things. And Paul says, yes, yeah, face the worries. The worries are given to you by God to teach you to pray. But do it in a way that doesn't just focus on trouble, but also focuses on God's abundant gifts. And make sure that your prayers are encased in thanksgiving. Uh, don't just focus on the troubles. Uh, focus on thanksgiving. Because when you focus on thanksgiving, you turn away from yourself, your own experience, your own troubles, your own needs, and you focus to God. 
the giver of every good and perfect gift. You focus on God's generosity. And Paul uses a wonderful picture in Colossians chapter 2. He says, continue, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful or awake with thanksgiving. Now, do you get the picture there? One of the problems is that we sleepwalk our way through life. We sleepwalk our way through life. And because we are spiritually asleep, or the mark that we are spiritually asleep is that we aren't grateful, we don't give thanks. We aren't, we're conscious, but we're not aware. And we're not aware of what? We're not aware of God's abundant goodness. The good gifts that God gives us. Uh, it's as if we're three-quarter asleep, or we are asleep, and we sleepwalk our way through life. Now, what's the mark of a person who's spiritually awake, not sleepwalking? Is Well, joy comes as a result of it, which is thankfulness, gratitude. And the more uh, 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 you are enabled to thank God, the greater your joy will be. Because when you thank God, you concentrate on good things and God's goodness. And so you focus away from your own misery and you focus on God's goodness. And joy then comes to you. And that does something strange to you because it not only gives you joy and enjoyment, but it, it enhances your capacity for enjoyment. It enlarges your heart. It uh, makes you... Uh, large-hearted, uh, so that you have an increased capacity for enjoyment. And uh, not just enjoyment for real dramatic things, but enjoyment in everything, all the little daily, everyday things in your life. Uh, because they're all given to you as a gift. For what purpose? For your enjoyment. God gives everything to you for your enjoyment. And then uh, prayer and thankful prayer has its result that it increases your capacity for enjoyment and you increase your joy. And the result of that is peace. Just going back, uh, I've, no. uh, sometimes you've got to watch for punctuation in English translations. Uh, uh, cut out the full stop before verse 9. Do not worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. Now, if you want to get this in, so that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will do what? Guard, protect your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, uh, the result of Thankful prayer is peace. And the picture here is of peace as a bodyguard protecting you. What does... No, so if you, a, a bodyguard, a bodyguard goes with you all the time. What does a bodyguard do? Protects you from what? Oh, just not, not, not spiritually, but, you know, if, uh, who, who has a bodyguard? Uh, President Trump has a bodyguard. Important people have bodyguards. Why? To protect them from attack by their enemies. Okay, who wants to attack us? 
and destroy our joy. Okay, the devil does. He is the kill joy. He is the destroyer of joy. And so what does God give us? Peace. A good conscience. A peaceful heart. A peaceful conscience. A peaceful mind. And that protects us. That guards our heart. Notice our hearts and our minds. Our conscience and our thinking. Uh, because there's two ways that the devil will attack us to destroy our, uh, uh, our joy is by attacking our conscience, making us feel guilty so that we uh, 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 think that God condemns us and other people are critical of us. We're not good enough. Destroys joy. Uh, so it protects our conscience but also our mind because one of the problems is our thinking. Uh, he gets into our minds he gets into our thinking and we, then we go into a spin, the worry spin, the pessimist spin. Um, poor me, things are crook and they're going to get crooker and there's no hope for me anymore. Destroying joy. Uh, peace is our bodyguard and uh, Paul says, uh, the peace of God, which passes all, surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds. Where? In Christ Jesus. Where is the safe place from attack? Where is the safe place from attack by the devil and his desire, his great purpose to kill our joy? It's in Jesus. He is our spiritual safe place and the only safe place he has. We have. Lastly, and this is the thing that surprises me most. Okay, now I, uh, in my teaching, I've taught at a seminary for many, many years, and one of the principles that I give to uh, students who like to complicate things too much, you know, when they read or study the Bible, when they interpret the Bible, they need to employ what I call the Kleinig principle. And they all remember them. You go and I talk and say, what's the Kleinig principle? And they can uh, make a bit of fun of it. Okay, what's the Kleinig principle? Is to look for the unexpected. Okay, you have Paul here. He gives two bits of advice, two helps. What's the first one? Gentleness. What's the second one? Thankful prayer. Now, the third one is most surprising. And it's pretty hard to put into ordinary, everyday English. But just listen to the way Paul puts it. Uh, finally. Now, finally means this is the main point. This is the... Now, take notice of this. Underline. Note well. This is the crux of the matter. Now, what I would have expected Paul to say finally is, okay, keep your eye on Jesus. Is that wrong? No, that's quite right. But in practical terms, he says, keep your eye on other people. And keep an appreciative eye on other people. Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure or chaste, and he's thinking here of sexual terms, uh, the, the term here is not general purity, but sexual purity. Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any virtue, if there's anything worthy of praise, 
consider these things. Consider, envisage, meditate, uh, uh, fix your eyes on this. And Paul means not consider it in yourself, but consider it in other people, uh, your fellow Christians particularly. Okay, uh, the focus on other people and uh, having a positive attitude with a positive judgment and a positive atti- uh, uh, evaluation of other people, their character and their behavior. To put it in plain terms, look for what is best in other people, not what our default position is, what's worst in other people. Yeah? Children are loose. Which means what? Oh, okay, yes, yes, sorry. I thought I could go... Okay, Uh, so to consider, to reflect on the virtues of others rather than to criticise them for their vices. Now, notice here very quickly, before you dismiss, you can go. Uh, um, uh, There's six praiseworthy virtues, okay? To focus what's true, what is true and truthful in other people to focus on what's honourable and awe-inspiring in other people, rather than the opposite. To focus in what's just and right in other people, not what's unjust and what's uh, wrong. Oh, that's what we always do, to focus on what's wrong. To focus on what's pure and chaste sexually, or we're prurient and we've got a nose for... Uh, sexual inchastity. Paul says, no, don't focus on that. Focus on what is chaste. To focus on what's lovely and likeable in other people, what's reputable and winsome in other people. And with that then comes an increase uh, in the ability and the capacity to receive the joy of the Lord. Why is that the case? Because how quite concretely does Jesus give his joy to you? Sure, he gives it to you in church. He gives it to your word. But in ch- even in church, it is through other people. And the uh, source of joy is both Jesus and other people. And you need to have both to have a life of joy. Sorry, I've gone over. Okay. God the Father, the God of peace, give you all joy and peace as you trust in his Son so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope now and always. Amen.